0: San Diego at the International Comics Expo Margate 2018 Okay, my name is Simon Furman I'm a writer for comic books and TV animation and largely for the 30 something years I've been associated with Transformers which has pretty much followed my whole career and in many ways propelled my career so I'm just going to take you through really the last sort of 30 years and, and talk a little bit about what it's like working on licensed comics for properties that are owned not just by the comic company you're working for but a secondary company like Hasbro in the case of Transformers and often it just means you've got that extra layer of approvals and and possibly fights down the line to sort of get to tell the stories you want to tell because I never really set out wanting to write giant robot stories based on a toy line that's just the way things kind of panned out but I never wanted not to tell the kind of stories I would like to read so sometimes that's at odds with what the owner of a property, especially a toy aimed largely at sort of six to eight year olds wants out of a comic. So let me just walk you through from the beginning. Um, My career really started when I worked for IPC magazines. I started as a competitions journalist, writing editorial competitions across IPC's range of magazines which went from Woman's Own to Popular Gardening to Practical Hi-Fi to a comics division, which included 2000 AD and other titles. And for a while I was quite happy to do that, but my passion had always been for comics. You know, I grew up with the British comic heroes like Adam Eterno and Robert Archie and the Steel Claw and, and into Marvel comics when they came out in the likes of POW and, and Mighty World of Marvel. So these were the comics I read, these were the comics I wanted to write, really, but that's not quite the way my career went. Now, originally, my first brush with comics was Scream, which was launched as the kind of companion to 2008 But instead of sci-fi, it was creepy stories for kids. And for all the good intentions of IPC management very quickly it became aware we became aware how scared they was they were of this comic. You know, it sounded a great idea on paper, but ultimately we were doing horror stories for kids and, you know, the management feared a kind of daily mail backlash in the way they'd had with action comic. They assumed at some some point they would get pilloried for you know corrupting kids minds you know in an ec comic style way but nevertheless this is where i got to cut my script writing teeth on literally on the dracula file so uh, so yes green was where i started and you know honestly this was kind of how i saw my comics future going you know i really thought I would end up staying on screen for a while, hopefully moving into the other boys' adventure titles like Eagle and 2000 A.D., and that's the way my career would have gone, and I'd have been completely happy with that. But that wasn't to be. Scream folded after only 15 issues. Uh, officially, it was the casualty of a, a national union of journalists strike. It, you know, all, co- all. IPC Comics and titles ceased publication for a while. Whereas most of them came back, Scream did not. And we largely think that's because they were just scared of it and this was a convenient way just to let it go. And strangely, for a thing that only lasted 15 issues, a lot of people remember Scream. And recently we've had a new Scream comic come out from Rebellion who now own all this material, all the material. Anyway, to cut a long story short, my editor on screen was Ian Rimmer. Ian went to Marvel UK, and a few months later, I followed him as assistant editor on Captain Britain Monthly. But at the same time, uh, they were launching Transformers as a UK comic. I'd never heard of Transformers at this point, largely because it was so new. You know, we hadn't even seen it. I I was old enough that I wasn't sitting up on Saturday morning watching kids' TV and cartoons. Although, I've got to say, I still do that. But I wasn't at the time, and so I had no real awareness of Transformers. But Ian introduced me to the editor, said they were looking for writers, knew I was looking for work, and something began then that has lasted and guided and steered my whole career. Transformers has followed me around... I've occasionally fought against being typecast as the giant robot guy, but latterly, I've just sort of sat back and enjoyed the fact that I had some kind of renown, or, or, or at least, you know, if somebody's doing a robot comic, they tend to turn to me. So that's kind of worked to my advantage as well. Transformer started as a reprint, re- reprinting the American comic strip, but as of issue, I think it was nine it turned to UK material, just because it was weekly, or fortnightly as it started off, and then weekly, as opposed to a monthly American comic. So there simply wasn't enough reprint material. So the brief of Marvel UK was to produce homegrown strip that could slot in between runs of the American material and not really make the readers notice there was a change or contradict anything that was coming up. So largely we started off just coming up with these very self-contained stories. My first one was called The Enemy Within and it started in issue 13. And you know it was you know it was it was a weird thing. You know we had no idea it was going to be a, as long-lived as it was. We had no idea much of our audience out there. You know the the comic was selling but feedback was limited in those days to readers letters. So you know, it wasn't that instantaneous feedback of readers you get now. So we just did our thing. We started telling our stories, and very soon we started to get a little restless at these very self contained, very. It, they didn't have an impact, large impact. We couldn't really, say, kill off a character if the American comic might bring them back a few issues later. But gradually, we started to sort of test the boundaries of this limitation and tell the stories we wanted to tell and I certainly the stories I wanted to write. And around this time, Transformers produced an animated movie that actually had a cinema release, although it came and went without much of a ripple. But for us, it was absolutely manna from heaven because... Here was a set of characters set in the future that, we, that the US comic weren't using. So suddenly we could tell stories, either set in the future or time jumping back and forth, that we knew weren't going to be contradicted and we could start to build our own UK Transformers continuity within the American, and hopefully not burst that bubble that, that you know they were being produced transatlantically. So the story Target 2006 paid into that whole animated movie and started to tell our own... You know, we just did sequels and prequels and everything else to that movie as much as we could. And really, it kind of changed my approach to writing comics because we suddenly started to think, well, why don't we be experimental in the way we tell these stories? And I started to use stories told in flashbacks, stories told out of sequence, you know, fractured narratives, all sorts of things that really kind of, I didn't necessarily understand, but they were testing me as a writer and, and you know, and lots of people respond to this, but once again, we paid no heed to the fact that our market was potentially six-year-olds. You know, we just told stories that we felt were Comic stories that could be enjoyed by anyone, and strangely, our readership really, really warmed to it. You know, by treat not by treating them by not treating them as kids or as you know, uh, treating them as intelligent readers. We we gained a very loyal readership on Transformers UK, who who just you know, even if they didn't get all of it, were they felt they were involved in something a little more than Saturday morning cartoons. So. Transformers rolled on, and Marvel UK diversified into other licensed titles. They did Thundercats for a while. I was actually editor of the Thundercats comic, but then sort of got pulled back onto Transformers. They did Action Force, uh, which was the you know the UK GI Joe, and you know Action Force as well as a, a standard format. Weekly was also produced as a monthly U.S. format comic. And they, used, they called it G.I. Joe European Missions for the U.S. market. But here it was still Action Force. Um, and again, this was Marvel UK's beginnings of forays into American format comic books. So all that hard work was more or less leading to when we could start to write comics more of the comics that I wanted to write. You know, I love Transformers, I still love Transformers, but my first love was hard sci-fi action thriller comics. And, and, you know, so Dragon's Claws was the first of Marvel UK's US format comic books. It also utilised a character we'd already featured called Death's Head, and then who spun off into his own series. And... You know this was all pre-direct market there was no diamond there was no you know sort of comic store retailer in the same way you know there were comic stores but there was no mass market comic stores it was all news trade and unfortunately these us format comic books disappeared into the racking in uk stores so a lot of people just didn't even know they were out there i think but again Lots of people now sort of remember these comics quite fondly from the time. And you know, it gave us our US a US start really. And, you know, this was you know, we had a lot of input from Marvel America on these comics. We had visits to the offices from Jim Shooter, from Tom DeFalco, and just generally we started to feel we could we could write US comics and uh, once again Transformers was really my entry into Marvel US because after a while Bob Budiansky, who was writing the US comic, was kind of burned out having written 50-something issues and just asked me really casually over a lunch in London one time whether I'd like to take over. And again, I was thinking, well, it's more Transformers, but, you know, it's a door opener at Marvel US, which was kind of a dream for me. This is this is the company I grew up reading their output and suddenly I was going to be inside the doors. So, so that was my first issue, Transformers 56, and it, it kicked off many other things for me. And the comic book, you know, just as an anecdote, when Bob and I, Bob Bodiansky and I, sat down to lunch and he said, did I want to take over? He basically said, you know, this comic is on the verge of cancellation. You know, you may only get four, five, six issues out of it before they can it. And in those days, Marvel US cancelled anything selling under 100,000, which by today's standards, of course, is just crazy. You know, we'd you'd kill to sell 100,000 on a monthly comic book. But such was the way their news trade, you know, market worked, that under 100, 100,000 wasn't really financially viable for them. So I took this over thinking, well, again, I might get a few issues out of it, that's fine. But as it happened, we got all the way to issue 80, and uh, that was the final issue. But thankfully, by then as well, I'd moved on to other things within Marvel. You know, I'd made my contacts, I was working with other editors, and I'd moved on to a few other things... So Alpha Flight was my first ongoing book for Marvel, you know, superhero book. And again, this was a thrill for me. I, you know, among the comics I'd loved and read were John Byrne and Claremont's X-Men. So to be working on Alpha Flight felt like I was in, I was in proper mutant comic territory here. So, and, you know, Alpha Flight... Um, Ran for about 20-something issues before, again, it hit that 90s era where they were cancelling a lot of comic books, Marvel US. You know, the industry went into a bit of a a plummet in terms of sales, and a lot of comic books just got cancelled at the time. But, you know, again, Alpha Flight led me to do a large number of what-if stories, which were, again, fabulous for me, because we could dip into eras of Marvel and just tell stories. The Rogue one, strangely, is the first female Thor, you know, before there was a Jane Foster Thor you know, we had Rogue as Thor in that issue and it span out of a fabulous Avengers annual, which featured the Michael Golden one, which featured the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and you know, and that's the, you know, What If was a great playground to be able to take these, these, these moments and spin them into something else. We did a couple of Wolverine ones, Spider-Man ones, and it sort of felt like I got to play in the Marvel Universe in a big way. But of course, there's always licensed stuff, and Robocop, Robocop rolled around. I was a huge fan of the movies, and I took over at the comic book of issue 12, uh, working with, my, uh, uh, with artist Lee Sullivan, who I'd worked with on Transformers, so that was a big thrill for me as well and brute force this is a strange one this is strangely marvel of reprinting this i never thought they would but recently there was a deadpool meets fights brute force thing but this was a weird attempt by marvel in the uh, in the early nineties to create their own licensed toy line you know it sort of came out of transformers the fact that well why are we just publishing toy lines by other companies? Why don't we create a comic book that could be a toy line and we'll, own, you know, we'll have the toy line to license as well? The slightly eco-friendly themed brute force, not the best, best concept in the world, but we, we gave it our best shot. And like I say, you know, of all the things I've done, I absolutely never expected to be reprinted. But I think the Deadpool thing, and I think they maybe did another story connected to it recently, has meant there's a collected edition of this coming out this year, which is really strange. But, you know, I wouldn't say it's my finest hour as a writer, but, you know, it's an interesting one. It, you know, it, if it had worked, this I think Marvel would have gone big time in this way of of starting to develop their own toy line licenses. But Transformers didn't go away. The final issue of '80, I wrote a little bit, you know, rather flippantly, that it never ends, you know. I, 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 but I kind of thought it had. I thought that's it for Transformers. But Transformers Generation Two rolled round a couple of la- years later. And then, under a decade later, the Transformers license, which had lain dormant for several years, was picked up by Dreamwave, a Canadian company. And they hit a kind of complete... The whole Dreamwave experience was interesting because these were people who'd grown up with the original Marvel comics, with the original cartoons, with the toys who were now sort of professional artists and creators themselves. And so they brought a, a new passion to it. And they brought that sort of retro feel that started to be very popular around this time. And, you know, so they, they started up a Generation 1, as it was now called, line of their own and brought me in to write War Within, as it turned out, a, a series set in the past on Cybertron. And you know, suddenly these artists were you know, blowing us away because they were fantastically detailed, far more than we ever were with the robots and toys. And it sort of brought a new level of sophistication to it. And, and Dreamwave had a sort of golden time of major sales. You know, for, I think their first Transformers comic was, you know, top the diamond sales chart. You know, sold a huge amount. But unfortunately, Dreamwave were rather short-lived. They rather mismanaged their finances. They didn't have a hedge against sales dropping off in the future. And so they didn't last very long. It was only really a couple of years that Dreamwave had the license. But by now, Transformers was back in the public consciousness in a big way. And very quickly, the license was picked up by IDW. Who pretty sensibly just sort of left everything alone from before and started their own universe they, well, they want they, you know they asked me to set everything in the present day and just rewind it to a new start. The classic characters somewhat redesigned, and as a model, we sort of took marvel 's ultimate line in a slightly more sophisticated way, just built up the suspense of the robots started with a more, you know, a different kind of pace. The first issue of the American Marvel throws about 30 characters in on a couple of double-page spreads. With Infiltration, we did it in a sort of more drip-feed way of bringing the robots into the thing. Started it more with the human perspective on it. And so, you know, the IDW-verse has built and built over now... 13 years and now they're finally sort of wrapping up that whole storyline that's been running since infiltration, you know, with an idea to relaunch it, I think, later this year. So, you know, Transformers has, has kept going for me and, you know, outside of that has pushed me into other fields where I now write. This is the title card from Nemesis Part Two, which was the final episode of Beast Wars, which was an animated series from the uh, sort of late nineties. Uh, it was a computer first one of the earliest computer animated ones, and Beast Wars. You know, I originally it started out they weren't even going to try and connect it to the original Transformers, but as it went along. The script editors got to be opened up to the fan base, I guess. They went to conventions, which were just starting out. They met the fans, and suddenly they thought, well, hey, it's a great idea. We'll reconnect it to the original Transformers universe. And they asked me to come on board and write an episode, as, again, a kind of nod to that pass. The way it turned out... By the time I got to write my episode, it was the final episode of Beast Wars, which was a shame. But again, it opened a door. And I went with the script editor from Beast Wars to various other shows that were running at the time. There was a a series called Roswell Conspiracies, which was a a 2D animated, you know, sort of aliens are on Earth things. You know, obviously, I think, inspired by the X-Files somewhat. And there was X Men Evolution, which was great. Suddenly I was back in the Marvelverse writing episodes on those characters. And I also wrote for Dan Dare. A, you know, there was a brief, short lived animated Dan Dare show that I wrote for, and various other TV shows at the time. And it opened a door for me. And really, that's largely where my career has led since. For the last sort of four or five years, I've been working on. Matt Hatter Chronicles which is a kids TV show on CITV and I've been working as writer and lead writer and script editor on that so you know it's 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 taken me into a new field which is great and you know there's still room for more licensed stuff I recently did a whole range of uh, books uh, graphic novels based on the How to Train Your Dragon films and T V series and Kung Fu Panda. So, you know, licensed stuff ticks along for me. And that leads us nicely to Robotech. Another eighties animated property that recently has been rebooted by Titan. Brian Woods Brian Woods, sorry, wrote the first four issues and then they bought drafted me in to write the rest. And again it's 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 really good because it's not Robots, robots in the same way as Transformers. It's sort of mecha suits and transforming jets. But largely it's a human-led series. The original series in the 80s was quite revolutionary for animated shows. It was a Japanese show. In fact, it was three Japanese animated shows that an American company mashed together into one series. So you know they took three quite different ones and put a linking strand between the three shows and called it Robotech. So at the moment we're in what was the first of those shows called um, the Macross Saga. And it was interesting because A, it was a continuing show. That wasn't common with kids' TV shows, that it continued from episode to episode like a lot of shows do now. And also it dealt with... Death characters died in it you know some of the lead characters died quite suddenly and shockingly in Robotech and I think it, it made a lot of big impact on a lot of kids at the time but this isn't a slavish recreation of that animated TV show instead it's a, a reinvention a, re, a re-look at you know the, the basic setup is the same and in some ways, we're following the course of the TV series, but meanwhile going off on all sorts of other tangents and changing things as we go along. So you know the artist art is by Marco Torini, an, an Italian artist, and he's brought a sort of a, a kind of modern sophistication to the looks. You know the Japanese show was kind of kind of weird in places it had. You know, it was Japanese bonkers in places and you know so we've tried to take a more real realistic outlook to it. We've changed some of the characters because they were sort of Japanese of the eighties stereotype characters. So we've tried to reboot everything and reboot the art style as well, because this was something that you know, we just didn't want it to look dated. We didn't want it to look retro, even though it's playing on that that vibe from the 80s. And I'm sure a lot of people picking up the comic are fans of the TV series. But, you know, it's, it's, it's done pretty well for Titan. And, uh, you know, certainly that seems to be a sort of ongoing for the time being. So, yeah, and there's a talk of, of a Robotech movie now. For you know, however many years down the line, but they've you know, they've I think they've attached the IT director to it, so uh, so things happening there. Transformers again still never goes away. Uh, we are now doing the definitive G1 collection, which is a comprehensive at the moment eighty volume, but that might expand to reach the end of the current IDW. Transformers universe Uh, everything from the very early Marvel comics through Dreamwave into IDW Uh, it's a mammoth undertaking it took a lot of pre-planning because the way of, it's a part work it's published by Hachette and the way of part works is they don't come out in sequential order they come out in a fairly random selection so you might have volume 60 followed by Volume 10, followed by volume 20-something. So all the books had to be pre-planned to the point where we knew exactly what was going to be in every volume ahead of time. Uh, You can't really change anything because they come with a spine art picture, so the spines can't change their width. So you can't suddenly go, well, we need to add 20 pages to this volume because you're, you're locked in by that point. So this took a lot, a lot of planning and hoping I hadn't missed anything and and generally sort of tweaking until we had 80 volumes. And, you know, the brief from Hachette was to try and do something... You know, there's, there's many Transformers collections out of this. It's difficult to reinvent this wheel. But we tried to do a few things that you hadn't seen before. So with the UK, Transformers UK material from Marvel... We coloured up a lot of the material that had only been in black and white before. We remastered a lot of the scans, which by now were getting very tired through sort of not great scans to start off with and then reuse and reuse. Uh, We tried to make the volumes bigger than they were before. Each one comes with backup features, contextual introductions, stuff that sort of fleshes out... Because we because they're not sequential, we had to make them as self-supportive as possible. You had to be able to pick up a volume and not feel you'd missed out something. And and so you know they're 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 sort of quite sort of a lot of thought goes into getting these both a a whole collection and individual volumes. So that is ongoing. I mean, we're I think we're about 36 volumes published so far, 35, 36. So you know that's another you know, year and a half really and like I say I'm hopeful that we will extend the run to take it to the end of the current IDW verse which ends this summer I think. I'm also working on a game Transformers Earth Wars which is one of those uh, tablet phone games. Uh, again something quite different for me which has opened up another door in the fact that I'd never really worked on computer games before, it's a, it's a strange way of working, it's much more collaborative, you're always working with a team, I'm largely working on spreadsheets, which is a weird way to write, but generally you're, you're fitting in very much with their, your, their game and player plans. Um, and interestingly with Earth Wars, because you can choose to be Autobot or Decepticon, you can play the game in two different ways all the storylines and the character stories have to mirror each other you can't sort of give one side more than the other it, it, it really annoys the game players that so, so weirdly everything I write has to then be mirrored but changed around and the characters are different so it's, it's a weird way to write but, uh, but very enjoyable and again it, it's opened up some other doors for me I've, this is a company called Space Ape And they do things like Clash of Clans and Rival Kingdoms. And I worked on another game for them called Fast Lane Road to Revenge, which was a a lovely arcade driving shooter game with sort of a mob boss leader table. And, you know, again, that was fun to work on. So once again, Transformers, this thing that, you know, once upon a time I was like, please don't just kind of tag me with this, just seems to have opened doors all the way through my career. And it also, you know, this, this level of other work, license work, company work, gives me the scope and, and opportunity to create my own comics. So this is to the death, which is, uh, Jeff Senior and I have worked together over the years on many things, just, just kind of doing our own thing, it, it's... We did, a, we did Dragon's Claws, which I've mentioned, in the 80s. And this is very much that vibe. It's sort of sci-fi, combat, sort of edgy, sort of action thriller, really. And it's, it's complete in and of itself. We decided to do it completely digitally and mean it, in a way. Not just sort of do comic pages that we then put up on the internet. We've done it very much... In a sort of widescreen format that is going to sort of work on your tablet screen, computer, or whatever. So it's 18 episodes. Uh, it's all online. You know, you know we, it's, it's complete the whole thing, and you know it's been an, a great fun to do. And we will, at some point, try and find the time to get it into print. You know, but actually reformatting from this widescreen format. Into a comic page is proving time-consuming. Jeff drew it something like a manga, in as much as you know there are there's something like 1,800 widescreen frames into the death, and getting that down into a manageable number and reformatted for a a a, a portrait comic page is proving tricky to say the least. But for the moment, it exists. It's ours, which is. Very gratifying, you know. The trouble is you work for you work on Transformers, you work for Marvel or DC, you don't really own the characters at all. But here at least with whatever we do with this next, it will be ours and you know we can take it where it where it will go. You know, as much as you know, we created Dragon's Claws and Death's Head, we don't own those characters, so we can't really you know, we have to wait for Marvel or whoever to decide they want to do something with that. Oops. So oops. And so that's it. That sort of brings us up to date really. And you know, if anybody's got any questions they'd like to ask me, anything about Transformers itself or other things I've worked on. When you're working on, on stuff like Transformers and brute force especially? Do, they, do you have conversations with the kind of the toy people involved with that Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't really touched on that, but, you know, during the time, during Marvel UK days back in the 80s, you know, we were a licensed title. Hasbro had a UK office, so we had to have a certain amount of dealings with Hasbro. They had to see the scripts, they had to approve artwork. But, Transform- these days Transformers is a multi billion dollar brand and it has movies and it has much more riding on it and I think and I think Hasbro are just much more aware of what's happening with Transformers. You know, they're still very good and very, you know, open to new and different things. There was a recent Transformers G.I. Joe series done by Tom Scioli and it was done in a sort of Very indie. He he kind of channels a lot of Jack Kirby into his artwork, and it was a really strange beast. But Hasbro kind of gave them the license to do something different with it. So you know, Hasbro are still very open to new stuff. But back in the day, Hasbro hardly bothered us at all. You know, I think Marvel US got it a lot more, and they had to feed toys into their stories on a regular basis. Very occasionally, we got to tag on to Hasbro's UK TV uh, TV advertising. You know, if Hasbro had a new range of toys, uh, when the movie came out, they introduced Galvatron and Ultra Magnus, and they had a TV spot for it. And they used to let us flash up the cover of the comic at the end of their TV ad, which was worth its weight. So we always would theme stories for those moments so we you know we would a certain amount with that and sometimes that meant stepping out of our continuity a little bit when they introduced special teams these combining transformers it was too early for us really the we hadn't got to those american issues so we had to contrive a way to do a uk story that was almost a sort of a a flash forward to what was to come and so we had to get a little bit inventive with that but it wasn't interference and such we wanted this you know sort of you scratch our back we'll scratch yours as much as they did in fact probably more so generally our experience with hasbro was really really good Uh, when i went to work on the american comic again hasbro's attention had slightly moved elsewhere transformers as a brand was not their priority i don't think so we got away with a lot more, and some of the stories we told, especially in the UK, were were quite full on for a kid's licensed comic. You know, everything Jeff Senior draws just looks violent, even if it's not. And and I think you know, these days you might not get away with it in what was meant to be a younger pitched show. But anyway, yeah. So, so Hasbro generally were really good. One time with the US, we we thought we kind of as a you know, we got a very nice relationship with Hasbro. We thought we'd test how much they were looking at what we were sending them. So we decided to do a, an April Fool's gag. And so we came up with the most outlandish, ridiculous story outline we could contrive, which had sort of giant nuns in it and robotic sheep and all sorts of things you shouldn't put in a kid's comic. And, uh, and everybody dies at the end of it. And we sent it off to Hasbro, very boldly tagged as, you know, in the American way round, 4 one 90, 3 or 4 We We sent it off, and we got dead silence back. And suddenly we all started fearing for our jobs, really, because we thought, oh, dear, what have we done? And they just hadn't got around to reading it. And when, they, when we pointed it out slowly, painfully, because they had one, like, one comment, it was like, well, what happens next issue if everyone's... Di-? Yeah, it's an April fool's gag, but you know, once we pointed it out, they loved it, you know, they just, you know, and I think the thing is, if you treat the ly- you know, sometimes there's this temptation to treat the lysosaurs as the overlords, the people with no sense of humour, with, you know, draconian rules, but actually generally my experience has been personal contact helps everything so you know working on Robotech I'm working very closely with Harmony Gold Tommy Yoon who is their sort of guru of all things Robotech you know we work hand-in-hand with we we have story consults we run everything by them and just you know if they've got ideas often they're better ideas than we have because they know the franchise that much better so so generally, my experience has been always been good. If, um, working on transformers for the years, have have you ever had to go to them to say, "Hey, I'm the man for the job," or they always found found you, come to you again? So, if that um, you're the man to to go to. Yeah, I mean, some of it's ridden a little on my reputation with the series and the franchise. But with Dreamwave, while they were certainly aware of me, I went to them with, with, on Dreamwave. Because, funny enough, at the time, or just before Dreamwave, I was working at Titan. And I was the one who sort of agitated for reprints of the, Mar- of the Marvel Comics material. So we slightly were under that dreamwave curve. We started bringing out collections of the classic material, the Marvel material, a year or so before that. But, you know, yes, with the dreamwave one, I got in touch with them and said, you know, I'd love to do something if if that... And, they, you know, they were just like, yeah, brilliant. But with IDW, they very much came to me and said, we want you to build whatever we're going to do next here. and And so... Uh, Chris Ryle and myself just went through various scenarios. We we considered a kind of crisis on infinite Cybertrons as a way of mushing everything together into one. But we decided that was prohibitive to new readers and with a few variations we ended up at Infiltration, which was this stripped-down, very accessible lead-in to giant robots done in you know it always sounds strange to say real world way but we tried to take that approach like the ultimate line did of it wasn't quite as fantastical or at least you have to cut through a lot to get to the fantasy elements of it although you know infiltration and the idw verse was interesting because now in the internet age we did get almost immediate feedback and whereas people liked what we were doing a lot of people were like where's the giant robots you know we, you know we want we want giant robots you know it, it's great this but get to the robots and so you know the digital age we just said well okay let's do a spin-off series set on cybertron or around cybertron with just robots and so we were completely responsive something we couldn't be in the past to the fan base and adaptive in that way okay well lovely well thank you very much for coming and uh, and listening to me rattle on about giant robots again thank you.